Hi, I'm TJ. And I'm Joseph. And this is Hi-Fi. Hey, TJ. Welcome back to another week. Hey, my voice is coming to you basically through one of the new iPad Pros. What? Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's the you same computer, right? You got me for a second. It's, it's the same computer, right? Yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> it's, it's the, the M1 hotness. MacBook Air. <laughs> yeah, the M1 is everything now. I mean, yeah. I mean soon it's going to be in our AirPods, our Apple TV. Yeah, yeah. You but, know, I thought that they told us in the first place that it was a souped-up version of one of the iOS hardware device processors. Maybe I was mistaken oh, about that. No, no, it was. So the iPad Pro was um, basically the same chips that they've had in the iPhone. But the thing is, like, it's it's all, like, interconnected now because the M1 is basically the same chip that's been in the iPhone and the iPad. They've just rebranded it and they've added capacity to it. They've they've changed things about it. It has more RAM and these sorts of things. But it's the same processes and the same, you know, architecture and the same silicon that, you know, yeah, that, and so that it's Apple's really funny on. that that is the same chip, but they say it's come to the Mac. And then in this latest event, they show Tim Cook stealing it from the Mac and then putting it into an iPad as if it wasn't already there. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah. That's a kinds of confusion. It's it's branding. It's all about branding. And, and that's what makes it interesting that they have um, taken the uh, Mac chip, the 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 chip that the i the M stands for MyPad, and put it in the iPad. It's just strange. Yeah. It's a very strange. But I, I guess they wanted because they put so much marketing effort into the M1, they wanted to bring that branding over <laughs> and say this. And, and and especially if it is essentially the same chip, I mean, there's no reason to waste that branding. I guess so. But we'll yeah, I we'll, guess we'll, not. we'll get to the whole MacBook Air situation yeah, in yeah. a moment. Did you want to talk about um, Apple Fitness Plus on the uh, iPad? Yeah. You had a uh, interesting, mediocre experience. Well, and, and I, I think I put this in the show document the day it happened, and that was several weeks ago. It has since mostly rectified itself. Oh, I don't know okay. if That's Apple good. servers were having a bad day, but I literally couldn't do any workouts on my iPad. And um, I, I wound up that day doing it on my phone, which is an inferior experience when you're trying to work out on a mat and you don't know quite where to put your phone. And you, if you lay your phone down, well, it's laying down and you can't see it, especially if it's on like an end table or something. And so then you lay it on the mat, but you still can't see it. It's this tiny little thing and then depending on what position you're in it's it's just it's just terrible the yeah. i the I, I found the ipad to be a much better experience for uh workout with apple fitness plus uh, when i want to do strength training or that's what i'm primarily using it for right now strength training um so I, I found that to be a much better experience and it integrates very nicely with the watch but that day i it was only the second time i had used apple fitness plus on the ipad and i fired up the app and things weren't looking right my it wasn't showing the, me the workouts that i had done previously which is a nice thing that and it sometimes still doesn't do that and i find apple's arrangement of things confusing hmm. and i wind up just on on the iphone i it's easier to find things on the iphone with apple fitness plus and so uh-huh. and it shows 
but it always shows me the area of workouts I've come, I've done before that I might want to do again. And then I'll send myself um, in Slack a link to it, which I then open in Slack on my iPad, which opens it in Apple Fitness Plus. It's the strangest, stupidest oh, thing. Yeah, it's but, but that day, that day, I would just I, I would find the workout I wanted and I would click start and it would be it would say uh, we cannot start this workout right now. I just would give this it was a, a dialogue pop up, you know, that you get on iOS that it was basically this error cannot start workout. <laughs> Just yeah, like, cannot start work out. Uh, just try, you know, later. You know, come, yeah. you know can you just stick Maybe. around at the gym and continue <sighs> trying your workout uh, for a few hours, and we'll be back when we're ready. Yeah, yeah. Cannot start work out, and there was no reasons given. It's just cannot start work out. Not like we're experiencing server problems. It, we, we, you know, be, bear with us. None of it. It was just can't start work out. Apple stuff. Apple's fit. This is the thing I found about Apple is when Apple stuff is working properly, it's magical, right? It's it's wonderful, yeah. and that's that's why you and I, and that's why I've returned to being a more full time Apple user, and that's why you and I are Apple users is right. because it, it, when it does work, it is fantastic. I have found that when app when you run into Apple's failure modes in their software or or their devices. They're pretty bad. They can be just really bad because Apple does. Apple wants to hide it all away from you, and so they don't. They don't provide any troubleshooting steps. They don't provide any information at all. Um, the failure modes tend to just be really awful. <laughs> yeah, the thing about the app, like the fitness app, is from what I understand. I mean, I'm a pretty intuitive guy. And I know my way around a lot of technologies. I'm guessing in this case, a lot of it hinges on syncing between devices and with the cloud and knowing what is the latest content that they can download a new video for the fitness app. Or is it all streamed? Can you download and save future fitness? Well, you know, you know, like this Apple look at, you know, you've already done the first five fitness workouts here. So tomorrow you probably need the sixth. So we're going to go ahead and download it to your iPad. Yeah, Apple's really bad at that part. But as far as like <laughs> what what it's doing um, in terms of streaming or downloading it, 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 it that's some of the stuff that Apple wants to hide away from you. Do not peek behind the curtain. So I have no idea. And I have good internet, mm. so it doesn't matter. And I haven't run into any failure modes on that. Um, I imagine if my internet weren't working and I hadn't done the workout before, then it probably wouldn't work. Um, mm. But if I had, who knows? I haven't run into that, that mode yet. Um, but it, it it's really nice when it works because um, I, and I've done I've done workout with my Apple TV I've done it with my iPad and I've done it with my iPhone and in all cases basically as long as you're wearing the Apple Watch you click start and then you, your watch taps you and you press start on the watch and then it syncs between whichever device you are uh, using and it shows your rings on the screen and it's it's really nice. Well. That's awesome. <laughs> I've, I've been using the FitBot app. And what I'm reminded of is that I was using something called FitStar or something like that before a few mm. years ago. And it was very dependent on videos. So if I didn't have a Wi-Fi connection, I could get nowhere. But I can just imagine with Apple system and yeah, no, I, I don't miss those days being dependent on the video files. Yeah. So Joe, you have an AirPods Max accessory that you uh, think that you need. Yeah, so every now and then there is a Kickstarter for a good product. And this was one time when they turned my head because this is an accessory for the AirPods Max. It is colored matching for the different sets. So whether you got the space gray, the red, the green, you could get one that was basically it's a charging base station. So like a dock for your AirPods Max. And I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't seen it. It kind of reminds me of those, uh, you know, like household 
telephone, you know, cordless telephone recorder charging stations, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, so like you just stand up the thing and it's your telephone standing up because it can. And it just has your AirPods Max standing up right <laughs> on this charging dock. And it's got to fit just right into the nestling hole for one of the two ear cups. And so one side, what you do is you take a metal tooth and you plug it into your AirPods Max port. Theater of the mind. (laughs) Yes. And so then that tooth (laughs) that you've plugged into the AirPods Max port is going into the connector that'll charge it from this charging base station. Plug it into the wall, and then you have an AirPods Max charging dock, just like we used to do with our cordless phones. Now it's our cordless headphones, you know, the household headphones. Anybody can pick them up and listen to any podcast that they like, and then they just got to put them back on the, uh, the dock so that the next person can use it. Now, I like this idea just because I would put it on my desk. It's color matching, but uh, you can't order anymore. They've already got tons of backers and they already sold out. So I'm curious to see what becomes of it in the future. The Max Stand, as they call it. Yeah. So um, I'm looking at the project on Kickstarter. It does look like something Apple should have done with this device. Yeah. It definitely or that looks they should do within a year or so of the first gen. Yes. And, and the way that Apple, and I don't, I'm not planning on having an AirPods Max over-the-ear headphones. It's not in my future. But if I were going to have them, I would be frustrated by this whole you know charging bag situation and having to plug in wires to it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm already starting to move all the way toward the wireless lifestyle for my mobile devices. Um, it's really nice to be able to just, you know, <laughs> stick stuff on their charging pads. And then you've got these big headphones, and it's really nice to have that stand from this video I'm looking at on Kickstarter. Now, Joe, yeah. the um, the Kickstarter, it, what are euros? You, you pledge 69 euros and you get one of these things? Like, what? How did, <laughs> do you know what those are? Are those, are those something, is that money? <laughs> yeah, I, I was I'm looking kidding. at something just like that for uh, buying a custom-built beehive. And it was in euros. And I was like, I, I don't understand this. Is it like Monopoly money? How does it convert? <laughs> uh, I'm actually pulling up the converter now so I can tell you what it is in American dollars. That is 83 American dollars. Uh, so, well, given um, that it's an Apple accessory, it <laughs> kind of sounds like an Apple price tag, but it's not an Apple product. So no, I sure so, hope its build quality is that robust. I do want to offer um, a word of caution. Um, this is... Uh, Kickstarter, although it looks like they're also now on Indiegogo, I once backed something about five years ago, uh, six years ago, something like that, on Indiegogo. And, um, you know, I put about $300 in this thing that I backed, and there was it, it wound up getting up to $3 million in backers. That's how good the product was, and or how good it looked. And it still hasn't shipped. Whoa. Yeah. What was the and device? It, it, um, it, it was um, portable displays. Which oh, I wanted. Okay. They, they they kind of attached to the sides of your computer, and like they had this whole system, and it was really looked really looked nice. Um, so for laptops when you're traveling and or whatever, you know, just for laptops, and yeah. it looked really nice, and um, it got a lot of attention. And they um, there are people who claim that they did ship a few. Um, there are people in the comments that claim they did receive them, but by but the, it looks to me like 99 percent of people have still not received their orders, and they've quit giving updates on whether there's going to be like they for a while in 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 the project you'd get notifications and stuff like we're, we have delays, but we're working on it. Blah blah blah. Well, it, it's been six years, and this display is massively outdated at this point. 
I think they just pocketed the three million dollars and and took off. <laughs> so yeah, uh, when you, when you are dealing with these things, they do have that risk, and yes. hopefully, we should know by the end of the month what the risk is for this product because it's expected to ship out by the end of the month. I doubt if it will. These things that's that's yeah. how this stuff works. Exactly. If the pizza ever gets delivered, at least they delivered the pizza, but it could be a year from now. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of delivering things, did you want me to explain to you my foray into using John Syracuse's front and center and switch class applications? Yes. So we hear about it from John Syracuse on the ATP podcast, and it's not entirely clear to me on the value to everyday people versus John Syracuse exclusively. So I'd like to understand, TJ, how are you liking them? Well, I've stopped using them. I like them. They're great applications. Um, first of all, let me back up and expl- let me start with front and center, and let me explain what it is. So um, you were a Mac user in the classic days, Joe, so you should, yeah. you might remember that um, the layering policy of Windows and applications was was different in classic Mac versus Mac OS 10 or Mac OS or what, you know, the, this modern version of the Mac operating system that is not related code-wise in any way, which we've talked about at length on the show. So um, back in the classic Mac days, if you clicked on a window of an application, any window, all of that application's windows would come forward. It was as if you had summoned the app and the app now comes it, it, so you can get that behavior now in mac os 10 by clicking the application in the dock or by using command tab to switch to it john Syracuse, being a longtime mac a classic mac user and then coming over to mac os 10 now mac os um he wanted the old behavior and so he eventually wrote an app to get it back and it's called front and center and uh so basically when you click on an application let's say you have three or four safari windows you click on a one window and all of those windows come to the four so um, it was appealing to me, and there were certain ways in which I loved it. And um, if you're a classic Mac user, especially, or were, you would probably love this because you get your old behavior back. However, um, I found I couldn't get used to it, and there were times when I would want to and, – and you can, like, by holding the shift key down, you can bring just one window to the fore. And I believe this was also true in classic Mac OS, so that's replicating that behavior from classic Mac OS, where you can go to what is now currently the window layering policy in Mac OS by holding the shift key. But I found that I never could remember to do that, and so I would arrange a window of an application I wanted to layer and, and be able to see, and that would bring one of my other windows up to the front. But then there was other windows covering it because all the windows came to the front. I found I couldn't get used to it, and so hmm. I've stopped using it. But it's a very okay. it's a very good application. I, I didn't have any problems with it at all. What I would like to see explored, maybe we could do this on the show, maybe do some field testing of our own, since you know, you and I have both talked a lot about window management and mission control over the years and what mm-hmm. we are happy with and dissatisfied with, you know, there's gotta be like some good mission control alternatives that we're really happy with, maybe ways that we've already implemented something like I'm using Moom. I really, I really like Moom. You know, some people like the Windows, Microsoft Windows, window management style most of all. I think you're in that camp. And I would be curious to know, like, what are you using to get the window management you like, the dock management you like, however you like to organize and control your desktop, if it's with something like Hazel or not, mm. you know, whatever those tools are. 
Yeah, let's put that on the um, docket for maybe the next episode, which um, if listeners haven't noticed, we've switched to an every other week schedule, for at least for now. Um, so in, in a couple weeks, let's put that on the docket. Joe, if you, could, if you could do that while I talk about Switch Class, that would be fantastic. Sure. So Switch Class is a dedicated um, uh, running application um, doc, for lack of a better term. It's not the doc. Um, because you can't put arbitrary applications in it. Anything that's in Switch Glass on in, in the Switch Glass palette, a palette is a good word for it. It looks a lot like the dock, but it's a palette. Um, so anything that's in Switch Glass uh, is currently running, and there's a lot of value in that. There are things I don't like about the dock, um, particularly over the years. It's gotten less useful as the the preferences that you used to be able to set for the dock have gone away. Like you used to be able to tell the dock, I always want you to start at the left side of the screen and go to the right. And that way, if you added applications to the dock, it didn't change the placement of the dock on the screen. Whereas right now, my dock doesn't quite fill the width of my screen. And so as I open applications, if I open an application that's not in the dock, the dock is going to shift ever so slightly to the left. And it'll keep doing that as, as applications fill up the dock that aren't in the dock or you add an application, etc. And what that does is it breaks muscle memory. It's very frustrating. Switch glass um, is a completely different beast. So it doesn't really solve that problem, but it, it only shows running applications, which is really nice. Um, and so what I did uh, while I was using Switch Glass is I – oh, and the other thing I love about Switch Glass is that you can have it appear on every display. For multiple display users, that's fantastic. One thing I hate about the dock is it will only show on your primary display. Mm. And – I find that frustrating. Like if I'm working on a display to my right or left, I want to mouse down and get to the dock, which you can do. But what it does, Joe, this is the this is the behavior of macOS that it it, it just boggles my mind. So <laughs> I keep my dock on auto hide, and so if I move my mouse down to the bottom of one of my ancillary displays, the dock happily pops up. But what happened is macOS moved the dock to that display. Now, this I have. Um, I'm going to talk about in a minute how I've actually made that so that this is not as big of a deal as it used to be. But by default, this is a huge deal because now what happens is you go back to working on your primary display. And I very much think of my side displays as ancillary displays where I put ancillary data, a lot of my communications, my chat apps and things are off to the side. I'll have a web browser on my right side and my primary display has my code and various things that I'm working on at the moment or or right now my show document is right in front of me. So I think of that as my primary display. So most of the time I am working primarily on my primary display. But if I've gone over to one of my side displays and I've made the dock pop up over there, now when I hit Command-Tab and I'm working on my primary display, the Command-Tab switcher shows up on the side display because it follows the dock around. So so now I'm like, oh, dang it. So now i got to mouse back down to the dock on my primary display to get it to switch back over to my primary display, and then I can use Command-Tab on the primary display again. And so <laughs> w- I came across the idea of using Switch Glass not to solve that problem, but just to have a switching palette on all of and, and use the mouse rather than Command-Tab on all my displays. And I did that for a while. But... I came across a command, which I will try to remember to put in the show uh, uh, show notes when I actually post the episode. Um, so I came across a um, preferences setting in the dock 
now, this is new in Big Sur as far as I can tell. I've done some spelunking, and this I don't believe this used to exist as a preference. It's a hidden preference, but you can use the command line to set the preference. And it, what it does, this, this preference shows the command tab switcher on all displays. Thank God. So now it doesn't matter which display, quote, my dock has been moved to. The command tab switcher will just show up on the display I'm working on, which is fantastic. It's what I've wanted <laughs> for years. It's so good. So I, I feel much better now. And I've stopped using Switch Glass because... There are some frustrations. I was keeping it up to the uh, top right of all of my displays. If you have auto-hide and you're working on your primary display and you have a display next to it, you kind of mouse over that region and it shows up, but there's nothing stopping the mouse, so you can't just flick the mouse or else you'll wind up on the other display, right? So there were frustrations with it as well. So I've gone back to using all only Apple stuff to manage my workflow in in the OS way, right? And so I'm, I'm back to using only the dock and I'm back to the old layering policy and i've just set this preference in the dock to show which the command tab switcher is part of the dock the dock application does a lot that you don't know about and the dock application manages the command tab switcher and so um, by setting this preference now it makes me so happy i can command tab and it shows up on all of my displays and it's what i've always wanted joe <laughs> oh, cool well I really do like the idea of customizing how we would use apps like we would with the dock. And there are some of these kinds of features in Keyboard Maestro, which I've used. There's a way to change the app switcher. And I like it a lot, but it's a little bit too opinionated for my design taste. Yeah. One of the one of the things I came across before I discovered this preference that's new in Big Sur is a I don't remember what the application was called. I liked it a little bit, but I started using it and realized it was never going to work for me. But it completely replaces the command tab switcher with a vertical list of applications and and if you want windows that are running uh that are open and so you can command tab through them and see them in a text list with an icon to the left i found that i'm i've i it's ingrained in me for i've been using mac os since 2004 and i remember when i would work on windows um, which wasn't that long ago um i would have trouble with the way it's it's alt tab switcher worked and displayed i couldn't find stuff very easily and um on the Mac, it is a very large icon, which, which, and visually, like, I can immediately see which application I'm trying to go to, uh, with the command tab switcher. And I found with a text list, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I couldn't quickly navigate to it on command tab. So I'm, again, I'm back to using just that. But this preference that I discovered solved the issue I was Googling to try to yeah. find out how to fix. <laughs> so, <laughs> buried in there somewhere. Yes, well, I'm a nerd show, is what it means. As, as you can tell, I've been nerding out about the dock. So. <laughs> oh, yes, I know. I'm very opinionated about these things myself. You know, the dock needs to be about twice as tall as the menu bar. That's that's the correct ratio. Uh, I, You know, I'm trying to eyeball it. I, I don't know that I can tell if it's twice as tall, but it's at least twice as tall. But well, I keep it on auto-hide. I keep it on auto-hide, so it doesn't matter too much to me what size it is. Auto-hide? Oh, you're mm-hmm. an animal. Uh, when I don't you're eating want that. dinner, do you just like take your water glass and set it down on your lap underneath the table, you know, and continue dinner? I mean, no. I don't you want that screen real estate table. always being taken up by an application switcher slash launcher. 
Um, if I want to launch an application, I'll go down to the dock and I know re- about where it's at. Although, again, like I've stated, the dock, the icons in the dock will move around because it's center aligned, which frustrates me. But um, yeah. I know roughly where it's at and I'll go down and I'll launch it. And other than that, I pretty much use the command tab switcher to navigate around. And I just don't want that real estate taken up by the dock. Yeah, I don't think it's a. I, I I feel your pain. I've been there, and the other pain I'm avoiding, the other uh, pain we inflict upon ourselves if we auto hide the dock, is that when you do mouse down there, you have the delayed reaction before the dock appears. I just wanted to kind of know based I, on my mouse gesture. Oh, he's going for the dock. <laughs> so I have a setting. I I have a um, what I call my setup script. It lives on my iCloud drive, and it is a Bash script that I run on any new computer and I'll occasionally just run it because it has commands that, um, that keep my, you know, that sometimes I'll add to it and stuff. And so I'll run setup.sh and it does things like, um, looking for the command here. Where's the doc command? Find doc. Yes. Um, defaults, right. Com.apple.doc auto hide delay float zero. <laughs> so, um, what that does is it removes any delay of showing the doc. As soon as I mouse down, nice. the doc pops up. Yes. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. Hopefully I'll remember to do that. That'd be very handy. I might consider doing the same. We'll see. No promises just yet. Yeah. This, this script I have, I I don't want to share the whole script because there's a lot of things in here that are specific just to me, but it, you know, it sets up my, um, fish command line system preference. I use fish for my command line, not, not bash and not ZSH. I used to use ZSH. I use fish. And so it sets up my fish preferences. If it's a new computer, it sets up my keyboard shortcuts. It sets up, um, my composer auth.json. Uh, it sets up my ingrock profile. Um, it you know sets up my SSH keys, all kinds of stuff. It's, it lives on my iCloud drive, so I can run it on any Mac. It's it's really fantastic. Wow. Yes. Well, then we want to move on to a larger topic. We wanted to talk about our new MacBook Airs, the things that yes. we got because we saw Apple's <laughs> April event. Yes. So um, I, as I alluded to, I have switched full time at least for the moment, to using my MacBook Air as my primary computer, which I just received last week. I believe it was Wednesday. And so I've had this computer for, I've been, t- I've been t- test driving this computer for a few days now. <clears throat> um, yeah, so uh, I really like it. Um, I have complaints, but I, it is a good computer and um, we can, we can get into the whys and the hows and the whats, but um, why don't you go first, Joe, and tell us what you got and what you're, what you had before and where you're, where you're going and what's going on with your MacBook Air. Yeah, so we had a late MacBook Pro from 2015 in the 15-inch variety, and it was my wife's. So when we got married, it came into their family. Uh, She got it for photography years ago. She was into wedding photography and would use Adobe Lightroom, and it was really useful, really good for that. It was her primary Mac. And then when she moved uh, to the other side of the country, she didn't need to do any wedding photography anymore. And we've been using it to do just, you know, a a small amount of household Mac computing. So it it felt like it was uh, getting long in the tooth, but also overkill for what we were interested in doing. We'd rather bring it up to date, make it more powerful, and also more suitable to my wife's size. She would be more suited to a lighter, thinner computer using our lap in the family room and not something just as bulky as the 15-inch model was for back in the day when it needed to lug all those ports and be a heavy beer build for dealing with photography needs. So 
We got the MacBook Air in the space gray. That was actually what she requested. And I'll use it from time to time, probably every week, just about, but not nearly as often as she will because it's not my primary primary Mac computer. For the time being, I've been working off of my 27-inch iMac for work, but it is uh, souped up to the brim. So I like using this computer anytime I have to, and I've been using it here since uh, March 2020 just because of the pandemic. But it's going to go back to the office pretty soon, and I'll be returning to my Mac Mini. Now, my Mac Mini is a 2018 model running on a Intel processor, and I'm not crazy about its specs. So later in the summer, I'm going to review what I, don't want, I want to do with my personal Mac situation itself. And I want to see if I can just get by by using the Mac Mini when I've got to be at a desk and using my wife's MacBook Air when I want to go portable to the kitchen or to the family room. But it's, uh, you know, it's got the 16 gigabytes. It's got the M1 chip. It's got, what is it, 512 gigabytes, something like that, and a solid-state drive. This is a, f- a phenomenal computer for a few re- reasons. I really like the MacBooks that are around 12 inches to 14 inches. I know there aren't any 14 inches, but come on, Apple, if you did make one, I might buy it. But anything over 14 inches, I start to feel like it's just too big for my taste. Then I love the trackpad. This trackpad is like, what, 30% larger than it was in 2015, which is so nice. And it has that uh, newer kind of clickiness, which is actually like the sort of like the force touch, the 3D touch effect underneath the trackpad, unlike the original clickiness of the 2015 buttons. Those trackpads were significantly smaller and a physical click. And if there's any component of our 2015 model that is wearing out, it is that trackpad. Like the physical motion of that trackpad is getting sticky or uh, locking up. It's not wanting to move. So um, if anything's going to give on a six-year-old MacBook Pro, it's going to be that trackpad. And I'm interested to see how long this trackpad will last because it's a completely sort of different style. Um, then we also have their better modernized uh, keyboards. I love this kind of keyboard. The chiclet keys are superior to the butterfly key switches. The, they are very shallow, but they're not as shallow as they were just on the previous generation and prone to break. Uh, these are... They feel so good. It feels great to type on this MacBook Air. And I, I don't normally feel that way about a shallow depth of keys. Like I have the wireless magic keyboard for my Mac Mini on the desk. And it comes in the space gray. It's got the number pad, which I would never live without. But it, it's not very fun to type on. It's just really shallow. And it's a full-sized keyboard, but it's not nearly as fun to type on as my mechanical keyboard I use for my work computer. But aside from just the keyboard being really nice, what we are really loving is the, uh, the, I was about to say the force touch unlock, the touch ID unlock in the corner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is so nice. And uh, I I could just unforce, I could just use touch ID all day. Like uh, just, you know, lock it. It could be a game. How many times can you unlock this Mac in a minute? Like that'd be so fun. Um, (laughs) 
the the display is gorgeous. Apple's always made gorgeous displays. As someone who's been using Mac since 1993, I know they always have more nits and smaller pixels and show more depth of field and higher HDR than ever before every generation. And we can keep up with those specifics, but the bottom line is, is that in everyday use, it feels like it's very color accurate for what you're getting. And it is a beautiful display. So I was watching some uh, YouTube content and looking through some picture galleries on this device, some graphs, and I just love the clarity. It, way better than the 15-inch MacBook Pro of 2015. Hmm. Uh, it, 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 the, the, the thing you'll notice the most is just that it's it's brighter, but the brightness also comes with clarity. So it feels like blue is not as um, desaturated. It's it's a lot more vivid blue, but it's not just a more vivid blue. Like the whole screen is poorly designed and creates a blue glare. It's like it's actually emitting the right kind of blue when it needs to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't say more about that. The body style is very familiar. Nobody needs to. You know, tell, I mean, uh, you know, comes in space gray, and yours comes in, you know, another color there, TJ. But I'm a little disappointed we couldn't find a new snazzy color for this device. Um, yeah. But other than that, I have no complaints. So um, it's available in three colors. Which color did y'all get? We got the space gray. Okay, boring. I got the uh, gold. So I was in the Apple store just a couple of days ago and I saw a, a rose gold MacBook, but yours is not a rose gold, is it? I would call this a rose gold. I It doesn't really? say that on the site, but I've seen rose gold before and this is pretty much that. Um, I was wow. a little surprised because Rachel has had for uh, since 2015 a gold MacBook and it is a actual gold. This is a rose gold. I actually like it. Um, I'm I'm kind of ready to get – I've always bought you know dark black silver or you know dark space gray, whatever – um, just this is always what I've done, and I'm kind of ready to bring some color into my world, um, at least this for now. And we'll see what happens. The idea with my so my MacBook Air, I'm going to it's going to be my it is my uh, primary computer, my laptop for uh, now, and we'll see what Apple does throughout the rest of the year. My wife uh, really needs a new computer, um, and so for some of the stuff she does, we're building up money to actually buy another computer, and then this I will. So the idea is that this will become her computer. Uh, uh, by the end of the year, probably. Um, and then uh, I will be getting something else, whether it's this or, or or if I'm getting the exact same thing, I'll probably just keep this one and she'll get a new one. It, it'll just depend on what happens throughout the rest of the year and what I feel like I want to buy from Apple. Um, the, the story behind this is um, when I got my new job, um, because of various security things with my new job um, and in the field that I'm in now, um, there's a lot more... Um, requirements for um the computer from my from my work i can only work on my on work stuff on my work computer and you can use it for personal stuff but it's supposed to be like incidental stuff not like if you are working on something else you should use your own stuff so um i uh I went so when when i got my new work laptop and my sent i sent my previous works laptop back to them I no longer had a laptop that I would just use for anything. <laughs> and um, I went back to my 2015 MacBook Pro. It was a good computer uh, in its way, <laughs> um, but I I was frustrated with it for various reasons. And I found a buyer for it. 
um, and I uh, sold it for an amount of money that I felt was good. And I also still had a, um, a Surface Pro that I was also able to sell for a couple hundred bucks and uh, almost recouped the cost of this MacBook Air with those things. So um, the MacBook Air itself, as I mentioned, it is a, um, a gold MacBook Air. My wife likes her gold MacBook, and so I thought I'd, I'd live the gold MacBook lifestyle for a while, and then if, if it gets handed down to her, she will also like it because it is a gold MacBook Air. Um, my first impressions of it are that it is very fast. Um, it is, it's of course the M1. Um, and I had, had been waiting to make sure that all of my stuff was going to run on the M1. And so far I have not had any trouble. Docker recently, I'm a, you know, become a developer and I use Docker. Um, I needed for Docker to be officially supported on the M1 and it is now. And, uh, I have not run into any problems. It will even run. Um, so I'm going to use some technical terms. Uh, the architecture of Macs up until the M1 was x86 from 2000, whenever they switched to Intel. Intel is the x86-64 architecture. Um, and then the new architecture of the M1, uh, I say new, the architecture of the M1 is ARM64. So it's 64-bit ARM, you know, code uh, processors. And um, the nice thing about Docker for M1 is that it will run x86 images in translation. They're a little bit slow, but they will run, and that is going to be necessary for a while. But what I found also that was good was that because the M1 came out, you can kind of tell when the ARM images of the development images that I needed to use started coming out was when the M1 was released. So um, thankfully, most of the images I use day to day are already you know ready to be run on ARM. And so that's good. Um, I'm not having any problems there. So that's the very techy nerdy side of things. Um, I Joe, I um, so Saturday at about just before nine, I unplugged from my desk setup and uh, went on laptop only with battery. And I worked until I shouldn't have done this, but I worked until about 1245 just on the laptop. I didn't go to bed until about 1245. And so when I shut the laptop a few minutes before that, of course, and went to bed. And then I opened it on Saturday and used it pretty heavily with a couple exceptions. You know, I obviously closed it to get lunch and then I had to run an errand at like four. But that computer went all day. Until about uh, almost ten o'clock, when I and I was trying to see, like, just I wanted a, you know, just make sure the battery was in calibration that it was showing the right percentages, and B, I just wanted to see how long it would go, and yeah, it went till about ten o'clock that night, um, of, of pretty heavy use as a laptop, uh, not plugged in at all, and that's pretty impressive to me. I've never had a laptop that would do that. Um, that is amazing. It says yeah. right here that it can get up to eighteen hours of battery life. Just wow. Yeah, no, it's 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 crazy. So um, for general day to day use, it definitely in most ways you can definitely tell computing. It, it has a very fast processor, like it can compute very fast. And when you open an app, it it instantly comes up. When you open the lid, you know you you flip it open, like the screen is instantly on. I know all of my Intel MacBook Pros to varying degrees would sit there blank for a minute, black screen, and then it would come. Especially if it had been off for a while, because you know Apple laptops go into a deep sleep mode. Um, these don't, uh, because they're basically iPad hardware, you know, and iPads are made to be instant on and not use any power while they're asleep. And that's, you know, that's what this laptop is doing. And it's fantastic. Um, I'm super excited that I was able to get a modern Mac laptop that is super powerful with no fan, <laughs> which is fantastic fan. You never hear the fan cause it has none. It has no touch bar because I've had two laptops now with a touch bar from my work 
I can't stand it. I cannot stand the touch bar. Anytime I'm working on it as a laptop or using the laptop keyboard, I'm constantly brushing things on the touchpad in it's not on the touch bar. And it's not like I can't, I like, it's not like I can figure out, a, I mean, I think there is ways to turn off the touch bar or to remove all the items from it, but there are functions that you need there. And so it's really frustrating. Um, but it's just I'm constantly br- brushing things. I'd, I'd say three or four times a day if I'm heavily using my laptop with a touch bar, you know, and using the keyboard on the laptop, I'll brush that touch bar and do something I didn't mean to do. And it's super frustrating. I've never, ever had that happen with a non-touch bar keyboard. So I'm super excited to get touch ID and no touch bar on this laptop. Very, very happy. Um, as you mentioned, Joe... The keyboard is so good, and I'm I would go a step <laughs> beyond you. This is this is the, my favorite keyboard that I've ever used, and in fact, I've arranged oh, my wow. desk now. I'll put a I'll put a, a picture of my setup in the show notes. But I've arranged my desk and working space now so that when I'm using this laptop, this is the keyboard I'm using. I don't have it. I mean, I still have my external keyboard, and I still like it. But and I use it with my work laptop. But for for when I'm using my MacBook Air, I want this keyboard. That's how much I like it. I love the key travel. It's not as squishy and not as much travel as my MacBook Pro, my, my 2015 MacBook Pro, but it's very stable and it has just enough travel. I really love it. Um, it's it's definitely a return to form in that way. Uh, I love that the finally the uh, arrow keys are half height, and so I can by feel find the arrow keys. Like the, you, you know, come on, Apple. Why? This is the frustrating thing about they released a new keyboard with their iMacs, but they've gone to full height side arrow keys again like come on apple what are you doing so i I really love the keyboard on this macbook air love it a lot um the one uh, this is the one complaint that i have with this computer and it's an area that i think apple needs to grow and i know i know this is a consumer product but i feel like they can do better here so um by default out of the box if you're not using an adapter that is called a display link adapter or something that is doing some software trickery. This computer can only support one external display. It doesn't matter what the size of that display is up to 4k or whatever. Um, Oh, actually I think, I think this computer will drive the um, pro display XDR, but don't quote me on that anyway. It, but only one, you can only connect one display to it. It will only recognize one. Hmm. And that's a frustration. And in addition, even just the one display, I, the, the, um, the graphics, um, performance is not up to par with my previous, uh, configurations. Now it is as good as the graphics, the, um, integrated graphics in the MacBook pro that my work has provided me. Uh, so it is on par with that, but what it's not on par with, I, I have been used to using with my laptops an eGPU. I have the Sonnet, uh, eGFX breakaway puck, which has a Radeon, uh, AMD Radeon RX 570S in it. Um, pretty powerful graphics card. Has 8 gigabytes of video RAM. And anytime my MacBook Pro, any any MacBook Pro that I've had that supports an eGPU has been plugged into it, the it, it's it's like having a desktop class, class graphics card attached. And it, it is it blows away, the graphics performance blows away the graphics performance of this MacBook Air of the M1. This is an area that Apple needs to grow because I don't think Apple's going to go back to allowing AMD uh, GPUs on their, on their Apple Silicon because of the way they've designed the chips. They kind of have to be integrated. So it's a frustration. I have this eGPU that's not going to work with my newer Apple computers, but it's so much more powerful and provides so much more, um, performance. So what I've done in order to get, and it provides the ability for me to hook up all three of my displays. What I've done to get all three of my displays working is I um, this MacBook Air has two um, USB-C slash Thunderbolt ports on the left side. 
And so that's just enough. Um, I, for one of my, dis- one of those ports is directly connected to my primary display with a cable, um, which I will put in the, um, show notes. It is a USB-C to display port cable, 10 feet, um, in case I need to go 10 feet, which it doesn't, but I got that one. And, um, so that's how my primary display is connected. Then I have a, um, docking station that has display link technology in it. Now display link is a technology that works over USB-C and it, and there's software that you have to pair. So you have to install some software on your MacBook pro or your MacBook air, and it creates, uh, the video signal for your other, for your displays that are connected to the dock and it sends it over the USB cable and it, you know, the hardware uh, takes that signal and puts it out to the display. So it's not connected to your graphics card. So the performance of those is definitely not quite as good as having an actual graphics card. What I did discover, I'm going to get, Joe, is it okay if I get super nerdy here? <laughs> you go right ahead. <laughs> we'll stop this is the, this is you. Just keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I did discover, I, I had some growing pains with this, is, um, so first of all, I discovered that True Tone has no effect on the display link connected displays. So my primary display, if I had if I had True Tone on, my primary display and my laptop display would be the True Tone color. Where it's got the sensor right in the in the somewhere on the on the display there's a, or in the sensor array on the MacBook Air there's a sensor that senses the ambient light and it adjusts the colors subtly to kind of you know match your environment and and make it feel like it's the right colors based on the lighting right the so it would do that for your, your for the display that's directly connected and the and the and the built-in display but it would not do it does not do that display link software does not support that and so. The colors would be way off if you had True Tone on 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 my side displays. Well, I thought I can live with that because for my primary display, I want um, I want True Tone on because I like the colors and that's where I'm mostly working. Right is my primary display. But what I what I, I was having these strange issues with display lag and display performance on my side displays. But I didn't connect it until I it was really bothering me how bad it was to go between the the, the display the True Tone display and the non-True Tone display, so I turned it off. And suddenly, even though Display Link doesn't support True Tone, suddenly my performance issues on the side displays went away. <laughs> so I can't use True Tone, at least not while my displays are connected. Um, and overall, the graphics performance is just not as good. That's, that's really the biggest complaint with this computer, is that graphics performance of Apple Silicon just isn't as good as AMD's. There it is. Um, anyway, my only other accessory, so I mentioned the display port cable and the docking station. The only other accessory that I have is, um, I occasionally need to read, uh, SD cards. And so I got a USB SD card reader, USB-C SD card reader. That's it. Mm. I think that's all I, I, I don't know. I probably have other things to say about it. I'm trying to get them all out of my head, but I don't know. I don't know if I have anything else at the moment about this. Yeah. I had one other thought too about the MacBook Air. Um, trying to remember what it was. Hmm. Hmm. So uh, while while your while your your brain is trying to come up with that, let me ask mm-hmm. you. Um, and I know this is primarily uh, your wife's computer, but in in your use of it, would it replace or does it take any? Because it's a small portable computer with a nice keyboard attached and a really nice screen, it has much more capability. Does it does it make it feel for you? And maybe this is a leading question and kind of gets <laughs> makes you understand where I'm coming from. But does it feel for you like your iPad now doesn't have as much? You don't quite know where your iPad fits in your life. Yes and no. Yeah, it, it's partially the operating system. 
because the Mac mm-hmm, OS mm-hmm. operating system is running so well on this thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it's just as fast as iOS and iPad OS, but the, just like the, in the little details that add up to a lot of difference, the, um, on the iPad, uh, several of the apps are very opinionated in, in, in lockstep with iPad OS that you cannot change the size of text. Yes. And, you know, a lot of the apps, it's just fine in the normal scale of the font size. But a lot of the time, it's also just too small to read. And I want to make it bigger. I want to be able to adjust point size from 12 to 13, 14, all the way up to 16 or 18. And yeah. why can't I adjust scale uh, like that? And you can on the Mac. So it, it's much easier to read content in terms of scale on the Mac, but to handle the iPad. But I don't want to hold the iPad right up next to my face <laughs> to, because the text is so small. Mm-hmm. So I am more comfortable with the, um, the MacBook on my lap. There's things yeah. like that, those trade-offs. Yeah. yeah, so for me, obviously that was a very leading kind of question, leading you to where, I, where I'm kind of at, which is I'm already my iPad was mostly an entertainment device, but I want it to be a device that I can also produce things with. And I, I kind of came up with a way to do that where when I'm out and about, I could write code on my um, iPad, if I had a good internet connection and could SSH back into my, um, my Hackintosh. Oh, I should talk about that. I'm going to write a note. So I'll remember to talk about what I've done with my Hackintosh for now. Um, Hackintosh. Okay. I made a note. So, um, so I had, I, as long as I can SSH back in and I use code server. And so I have basically VS code running in a browser on my iPad. And I actually have been out and about and written some code that way. It's not as good as, as PHP storm for my PHP development, but it's mostly there and it, it works just fine. Um, so I want to be able to produce things on, it's a nice portable device. It's touchscreen. You can reach out and touch things. It's really great. I guess that's, that's my other complaint is that Apple hasn't implemented touch yet on the Mac. Um, but that we knew that going in. So, um, yeah, I'm really a little frustrated. And now that I have this MacBook Air, which is so much better at the things I've been trying to do on my iPad Pro, where and and it's it feels pretty much just as portable as the iPad. When I put by the time I put my iPad in its keyboard case, the MacBook Air is a little bit larger, but the the weight of it feels about the same. In fact, I'm I'm holding them both right now. Okay, I'm gonna pick up my. Yeah, the iPad maybe is slightly lighter, but the 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 MacBook Air is just more wieldy, not unwieldy. You know, is wieldy a word? Um, so <laughs> the, the iPad, the iPad Pro feels more unwieldy than the MacBook Air, uh, especially for the things that I want to do with it. And so the iPad Pro has really become an entertainment device for me in the last few days. So. Um, where I'll, I'll definitely still watch um, things on it at the end of the day or sometimes during the day if I'm doing enough mindless tasks that I can watch something or have something going that I've seen before. Uh, the iPad Pro still fills that, but it's a pro device, and I feel like it should be producing things. And I guess maybe the line of work I'm in just doesn't lend itself as well to that. But, but I feel like the iPad has gotten so powerful, even this iPad that I have, the iPad Pro, which doesn't have the M1 in it, but especially with the, with the M1 coming to the iPad Pro – Man, I, it feels like iPad OS is hobbling this hardware so badly, <laughs> and and we have an example of a great operating system. I know, 
you know, for, for some reason, Apple just doesn't feel like it's the right operating system for the iPad. And I, I actually have come to feel, really feel that Mac OS on the iPad would be phenomenal. Like, look at what they've already done to Big Sur. No, Apple denies this, but look at just how they've spaced menu items out a little bit more in Big Sur and just things that would make it nicer for touch. And I just, I want, I want Mac OS on the iPad so much and I don't think we're going to get it. Along those lines, I was actually thinking this week how a lot of us are expecting more professional Apple apps on uh, iPad in the future. And uh, so what a lot of folks were saying in response to the Apple April event was, well, can we now put macOS on the, on the iPad? And the assumption being that if you put macOS on the iPad, then now you have access to all the pro apps on the iPad. And I think maybe what Apple is thinking is a little bit more unintuitive, but obvious that what they want to do, yeah, sure, they want to bring Logic Pro and Final Cut Pro to the iPad, but the way that they, they want to, to do it. Either TJ. way, whether whether they bring macOS mm-hmm. to the iPad or not, they have to bring Pro apps to the iPad, and I don't understand why they haven't yet. Yeah. So what <sighs> I'm guessing is that what they did a year ago was they said iOS apps can now come to the Mac. Isn't this wonderful, everybody? There's mm. nothing stopping you. You can carry over your iOS apps to the Mac. Doesn't that just make sense? You'll make more money and you'll have more customers, mm-hmm. etc. Well, what I'm guessing is that part of the roadmap is that Apple does not want to bring the Mac OS to the iPad, but they want to say, you know what we've done? We have gone back to Final Cut Pro 10 and we've created a version that is Final Cut Pro 10 that works like iOS apps that can run on the Mac in reverse. So mm-hmm. Mac apps that can run on iPad OS. Yeah, but see, the thing is, I, I worry, and, and I'm, this is you know just pure speculation, pure pre-worry. Like we haven't even seen these apps yet. It, it, it's but, informed but, worry. <laughs> but there are there are affordances on the Mac, so so it works going this way, right? It works going uphill, where you take an iPad app, and it's not quite as good as as a big full-featured Mac app, but it's better than nothing, right? So you you have this iPad app, and you can bring it to the Mac with all the tooling that Apple provides, one way or another, Catalyst or Swift UI, all this stuff. They make it possible to bring apps to the Mac from the iPad. But there's so many conventions and affordances and menus and all this stuff, layering policies. I don't know that it works the other way. And if they try to do it, I don't know that it's going to be successful. I'm, I'm worried about it. But I feel mm-hmm. like I feel like you might be right that that maybe the the story that Apple is trying to bring to us is bringing not Mac OS to the iPad, but bringing Mac apps to the iPad in some form or fashion. And we'll have to see what that looks like, and maybe it'll be good. But I'm worried about it. We'll I'll just t- have to wait and see. But but again, I think iPad OS is the hobbling thing here because you can make really powerful apps on the iPad. I'm not questioning that at all. I, I have no doubt that if Apple put their mind to it, they could bring something that is just as good and takes advantage of the features of iPad. They could bring something that's just as good as Final Cut on the Mac to the iPad. They could take something just as good as Logic on the Mac and bring it to the iPad in an iPad way. They haven't done it. But I think what's what's hobbling iPad is not that you can't create great apps on it. It's things like this. This is just a pinprick of an example. But when I was out just a couple days ago working on my iPad using that exact setup that I had with, with VS Code, SSH, and you know the code server, SSH into my uh, machine at home, um, 
what I found frustrating was because it, you know, I, I, we can talk about layering policies and all that, and it's frustrating, but the way that I was using it was I had my code full screen, and then when I wanted to look at something in the browser, I would command tab over to the browser. The problem is that iPad OS wants to be really frilly and fun and fancy, and so this it, it just feels like this little needle pinprick making you wait while things settle in from the animation of doing the command tab. On the Mac, you don't have that. It's instant. You command tab and it's there. On iPad, you command tab and you gotta wait for the fancy little animation to come in and you gotta, and sometimes you push it and it hasn't settled in yet so it doesn't respond to the refresh tap, you know? And so it's just like slugging through mud is what it feels like with iPad OS. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the bottom line, the iPad experience has gotten way more refined and it can do so much more than it could on the first generation iPad uh, 10 years ago. Sure. You can do video editing, audio po- processing, but it does not feel nearly as professional as just getting it done on the Mac. So we've had the iPad for 10 years, right? So take the Macintosh in 1984 and compare it to the Macintosh in 1994. Then take the iPad in 2011 and compare it to the iPad in 2021. The iPad has not advanced in the same way that the Mac did from 84 to 94, not even a little bit. Yeah. It's just yeah, not it's the same. Like the amount of progress the Mac made, the computers in general made, and maybe some of it is, you know, that was the computer boom. I get that. But it feels like Apple could have pushed the iPad much further than it has, and they just they haven't. They just haven't. Ten years of the iPad, and yes, it is more capable, but it is is it as much more capable as it should be? No. No, it's not. You can't you can't write you cannot write iPad apps on the iPad. In nineteen ninety four, you could write a Mac app on the Mac. Like what is happening? Why can't you write? You have this. You have the same size screen on on the bigger iPad Pro that I'm. That you have on laptops that you can write applications for the iPad on on the laptop, but you can't do it on the iPad because Apple hasn't made that possible. That's just an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can. The Mac is way more powerful. So there's all these overlapping situations, TJ, where I'm realizing when I go back to work, when I go back to the office, what I want to have in my backpack is, uh, let's see here. Well, I want my watch on my wrist for everything it can handle, which overlaps some features of the iPhone. So I got to decide what goes in the phone and what goes on the watch. And then you know, some features are better served on the iPad than on my phone, so I'm also going to take the iPad with me. Mm. But along with that iPad, which cannot get mm-hmm. done everything done, I've also got to take my MacBook with me. Uh, yeah, but then see, I got the iPad and the Mac. Don't I just want to use one? Well, I don't know which <laughs> one I'm going to have to do, use it for. I'm going to yeah. be using it for professional reasons or yeah, personal yeah, reasons, yeah. consumption yep. reasons. I don't know. No, yeah, it's I, I, it's frustrating. And I, I, I guess I come from an era, and maybe this is my problem. I come from an era where I had a laptop, and the laptop did everything. And now I have an iPad, and I feel like it should be able to do everything, but it doesn't. And so, like, for instance, tomorrow, um, and, and I've been doing this um, for, for a meeting that I have with um, some other folks in my church where I need to take notes, I will take my iPad Pro, and only my iPad Pro. I literally will just grab my iPad Pro, go to my car, and go. And that's fine. For taking notes, the iPad is great. And, and, and maybe I need to look something up on the internet. Maybe I need to, uh, you know, pull up an email. That, that can all be done on the iPad. All that stuff is great. Um, and that's, that's fine. But that's, that's just one thing. And I feel like Apple has thought, oh, 
business people in meetings, they can just take an iPad and it's great, but they haven't thought about professionals like me. Like if I really want to get down and dirty and write some code, I got to have a Mac. And I I just find that frustrating. Yeah. So the Hackintosh. Um, So so for now, um, Mm -hmm. I I have switched to the M1 MacBook Air as my full-time computer. For a couple of reasons. One, I even though I have been in the desktop camp for a while, um, I like the idea of having just one computer um, that is my primary computer that has all my data on it. I don't have to worry too much about it. And for a lot of my development stuff, I can't put that in the cloud. Like it has to because it's so massive and because it's Git and all this stuff. Like it has to live physically on a device and what i had done in my desktop era is i had a little one uh, is a little inform factor but it was a one terabyte ssd and it's encrypted you know with with um file vault and all that but it has um uh all of my data that i cannot store in the cloud so essentially your computer becomes a terminal to either access data in the cloud or data on this drive and if when i wanted to go portable I would connect it to my uh, laptop, and on, off I would go. And if I was working on my desktop, I connected this drive to my desktop, and I'd be there. So what having a laptop means with a one terabyte hard drive in it, that's what I got in this MacBook Air, it means that I can have all my data on this internal drive, and I unplug it from the displays, and it comes with me, or I connect it to my displays, and I'm at my desk, and I still have all my displays, and everything's great. Um, so I'm trying that for a while, uh, going back to that. Cause I, before I had desktops, I used to have this lifestyle. Um, and so I have put my Hackintosh in the closet. It's still performing functions like every night it backs up the night owl site and several other sites that I have. It runs processes. I can still take my iPad on the go and SSH into that computer and do some work if I need to. Um, although, um, because I have now all my primary source of data, um, is on the, on the MacBook Air, it does get a little bit more frustrating, but I, you know, I can mostly make that work. So we'll see how that works out. I, I may, I want to live with the M1 as my primary computer for a while. I may go back to a dual lifestyle and put my Hackintosh back as my primary computer when I'm at my desk. We'll have to see how things go, but I may not too. Any thoughts on that? Am I talking too much? No, no, it makes a lot of sense. I would like to run a Mac mini in the background similarly. So mm-hmm. yeah, a little more power to you. Yeah, no, it's still a great. I mean, that this is the thing, and so this is how far laptops have come. My my Hackintosh, I feel like, is still a very powerful computer. I have never felt like it's slow. It still instantly does things that I need it to do. I've never had to wait on it, you know. And it's and and it has way better graphics performance, as we've discussed, because it, it actually. So my my eGPU is the what I say it was. It is the um, dang it, did I already close the window? Oh yeah, here it is. It's the RX uh, AMD um, Radeon RX uh, seven five seventy. The one in my Hackintosh is a Radeon RX 580 with eight gigabytes of video RAM. It's a it's a screamer. Um, the but 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 Apple Silicon gets it almost there. Like for most stuff, this computer feels about as fast as my Hackintosh. Which laptops, no laptop has ever felt as good as my Hackintosh before. So the only area where it falls short is the graphics performance. And for the most part, I, I don't need it to have great graphics performance. It's just a nicety. So so here we are. All right. Well, that is the state of the Mac in May 2021. And I, you know, again, I guess the only thing I might mention in addition would have been that Apple, come on, you, you could definitely introduce better colors than these. And <laughs> yeah, I agree. The, the iMac was a great way to reintroduce colors to the Mac, but come on, the MacBook is just sitting right there. What really, how difficult is it to analyze the, the aluminum in another color? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the same season. If, 
if if Apple would bring the same colors that they just put on the iMac to the MacBook Airline, I, it would be fantastic. I think I would get a green one. And you would I would get have a gotten one. a purple. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. yeah. I'm happy with the gold, though. I, I actually like having the gold. It's a nice change of pace. And uh, yeah, I like it. Now, there are third-party alternatives to doing colorization, but I, I'm mm. not serious about mm-hmm. any of them. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. one called mm-hmm. Colorware. And I follow their Instagram. They colorize everything from Nintendo Switches to iPhones. And and they look amazing. And I don't see any harm in doing that. But it also feels so frivolous to get a special job like that done it doesn't look very apple like at all so do they do they like sync color into the is it like a cover or do they sync color into the aluminum or how does that work i think it's a kind of a cover okay it it, it looks like a very high gloss (laughs) or a high matte finish oh yeah okay so uh, are you a sticker person do you have stickers on your laptops and computers i am not i have dabbled with them but never really stuck to it I am not either. I do not have any tattoos. I do not have. St- I don't put stickers on my computers. The only bumper sticker I have ever had was magnetic. I can pull it off at any time. Although I've had it for years, I refuse to give it up. It is a political sticker. It's the only one that I've ever had. Um, and everything else, like I just, I don't want that stuff on my device. I want them clean and pristine. And and I I like the look of some tattoos. I like the look of some uh, stickers on laptops. I just don't want them. I I, I don't. I want it clean and pristine. <laughs> I get it. And 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 I feel the same way. Like a, a cover that colorizes, or even I would feel weird about trying to actually have color into the aluminum of my beautiful. I, I, I might even void the warranty. I don't even know. Uh, anyway, I think that's the show. <laughs> okay, guys, you've heard it from us here. That's the show. Yeah, so I'm sure you'll be hearing more about our M1 MacBook uh, Airs. Um, but if, if people want to, uh, you know, continue this conversation with us, we're on Twitter. You can find us. Just go to nightowl.fm and look at our show page, and you will find links to us on Twitter. And we'd love to have that continue to have that conversation with you. If you want to find show notes for this episode, I'll as I'm editing the show, what I do is I drop. I'll, I have several links in our Google Doc, but then as I'm editing the show, I actually drop it into the uh, CMS on Night Owl as I'm creating the post and as I'm editing the show. So there will be all kinds of links to the things we talked about in there, the stuff that I referenced, our accessories and things like that. Those will be at nightowl.fm/hi-fi/slash twenty-nine. And uh, that's it for us. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm.